Welcome back to The Corner of Story and Game, a podcast at the intersection of game design and storycraft. I am your host, Gerald Ford, and this week we have Paul Reed at the table. Paul is a writer and game designer currently working at Cryptic Studios. He has worked in the video game industry for over two decades at amazing companies such as Retro Studios and Sony Online Entertainment and contributing to titles like Star Trek Online, DC Universe Online, Metroid Prime, and Metroid Prime 2, and many, many others. Paul, thank you for taking the time to chat. No problem. Happy for the opportunity. Just in the sake of making sure we got it covered, why don't you just kind of walk me through your 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 career, how you got into uh, games and writing, uh, the road bumps along the way to get you here? Oh, wow. Well, that that's... I'll try to keep it brief. So I started off in the industry working at Nintendo. Uh, I was one of the gameplay counselors that people used to call up and go, I can't beat Zelda. How do I get through Super Mario Brothers? Right and then we'd walk them through it, uh, which was pretty cool. I got some pretty early exposure to how, you know, how the sausage was made, I guess. Right. Uh, and then from there, I started working in QA. Uh, I worked in QA off on a few projects for Squaresoft. And that while I was at Square, I got an opportunity to basically pitch a game for that we are going to be working on and uh, did well enough on that that I got promoted to junior designer. And then from there, just kind of upwards and onwards. Uh, as far as writing went, I worked at a, on a, quite a few startups earlier in my career, and all of them were, you know, tended to be story based or RPGs. And somebody would say, well, we got to write this. Who's going to write it? <laughs> I'd go, well, I'll do it. Or they would just ask me to do it yeah. since they knew I could. And game after game, I just found myself either by design or by chance uh, being the person on the, or one of the people, not the only person that was uh, writing for the game as well as working on design. So right on. I've wore a, wore a lot of hats over the years. Would you, would you say there was a pivotal point where your career path could have went one way and instead went another? Was there like a... Absolutely. Uh, that, that thing I mentioned earlier about pitching a game when I was at Square, yeah. uh, if that would have went poorly, if I'd have been like, oh, well, yeah, okay, don't, don't quit your day job, kid. <laughs> uh, I'd probably, I honestly, I'd probably still be working in QA, uh, which would be fine. Uh, but that would have been a much different direction than where my career wound up going, which is into design and then both design and writing and later even on into uh, audio production. Right on. So when you were pl uh, a young person playing games, a kid, were there games that's, that jumped out at you that you were playing that got you hooked before you got into the actual industry? Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, literally the way I got into working for Nintendo was I was sitting around in my apartment one day and mm -hmm. uh, one of my uh, gamer buddies from tabletop games was watching me play uh, Metroid, the very first Metroid. Right. And he's like, oh, you're pretty good at that. You should be a game counselor. I'm like, what, like a video game summer camp? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. There, there's, there. And he explained to me what a game counselor was. He used, he'd done it before as a temp. Uh -huh. And uh, he said, yeah, you should go down there and, you know, see if they, they'll, you know, they're hiring. I have a friend of mine that still works there said they're hiring. You should try it out. Hmm. And I'm like, well, I guess it's better than washing dishes, So, uh, which is what I was doing at the time. So oh, I was like, God. all right. So I went down and I, I took the test and they asked me, it's like, have you ever played this game? I'm like, yeah. Played this game? Yeah. Played that game? I own it. <laughs> so uh, I, I got the gig and then uh, that started me on my way. Nice. Did you play tabletop as well yourself? 
tons. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that uh, probably later on when I first started doing stuff as a junior designer, having that as a background yeah. and, you know, running games, making characters, making maps, all that, uh, I think was definitely helpful when it got down to, okay, well, let's make a video version of what's swimming around in your head. So uh, I'd say that was a big influence. Very cool. If you could reach back through time and give one piece of advice to, to the young Paul before it all started, what would that piece of advice be? Read a whole lot more about screenwriting, uh, how, how screenplays are put together. Because as I got further and further along uh, and started, you know, writing scripts for cutscenes, writing scripts for an encounter in an RPG, that knowledge would have been very helpful. I mean, it's, it's knowledge that I eventually got around to reading and learning. Mm -hmm. My uncle was a screenplay writer and he showed me a few books and uh, there were some other books that I read when I was thinking of entertaining the idea of writing comics uh, that you know, I just kept coming back to it's like, you know, this, this sounds an awful lot like screenwriting. This sounds an awful lot like, like, and storyboarding and for animation and stuff. So right. studying that element of the the trade and the craft, I think would have been advice I would have tried to drill into my young head a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the spot. I love recommendations. Is there a, a single screenwriting book that you would say everybody needs to read or? This is gonna this is a little bit out of left field, but there was a book that I thought got a lot of really good information out of, and I found that it was uh, helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it's it's not it's a little unconventional in terms of video games, but I think for I think for writers in general, I think it's a good resource. And it's a, a it's a book that was about how to write comics for DC, how the DC basically how to write how to write comics for DC. Hmm. And um, it's written by one of the legendary writers, guy who wrote a ton of legendary Batman titles, for example, uh, uh, named Dennis O'Neill. Hmm. And it's called The DC Comics Guide to Writing Comics. Very cool. Which is kind of a mouthful, but uh, <laughs> that's a really good resource. And I say that because it video games are, as part of the title, they're visual. And this is a book about telling stories with vision, with images, with comics, within a comic panel, how to really, you know, with not only write the dialogue that tells the story, but also to think about it in terms of how you want an artist to picture that on a page. Right. And that has been a great resource for me working in the video game industry, because if you think of a cutscene as a live action comic book, uh, then you can start to see a lot of the crossover. Right. It's a good resource for someone who would want to write it you know, an animated, uh, you know, animated show, uh, be a great resource for someone who would want to work in video games or, you know, the intended purpose comics. Right. Right. So, uh, I, I found it to be a great resource. Very cool. I'm putting it on the list. Awesome. Your entry into the video game industry was, you know, one of those, you know, get a job in the mailroom and work your way up kind of things. Mm hmm. But I talking to a lot of people, it's it's very obvious that breaking into video games, especially these days, has become quite challenging. Oh yeah. In your opinion, why is it so difficult to get into the industry? There's a there's a lot of reasons for it. I think one of the big reasons, and despite the fact that a lot of progress has been made, especially just you know in the time of my career, hmm. uh, but in the last ten years in particular. I still feel like there's a lot more progress that needs to happen in the academic world. I think we need to see a lot more dedicated programs and 
not just at the collegiate level, but like in high school, even in grade school, hmm. uh, you know, when we look at things like say, let's say, look at baseball, you know, little kids learn how to play baseball when they're literally little kids. Right. And then they can continue to learn to play baseball all the way up into and through college into a professional career if they're really good. We don't really have that for video games. I mean, yeah, you can sit around and play, you know, play Nintendo in your your living room, but that's not quite the same as having a coach go, okay, you know, working with you on building your skills on how to be an animator, how to be a writer, how to be a, you know, how to be a programmer. Right. Obviously, I think we can definitely expand that at all levels so that kids who want to look at video games as a career as an adult have more choices and can build and work towards that. Oh, that's fantastic. I know my son would like that. <laughs> I know a lot of, a lot of kids would love that. I, I mean, when I was, when I was a kid, I used to read like a lot, all the trade magazines really early days, like EGM when it first started coming out mm-hmm. and I would just pour through the magazines, you know, and like, here's maps of such and such. Here's an interview with so-and-so that worked on this game. And here's a preview of this game. And it was just, that was all going into my brain, but that's not quite the same as having like an instructor right. and a textbook and being able to get like assignments and like make your own DIY game. Those tools are out there now, which is what, where I was saying we have made some progress, mm-hmm. but I'd love to see a lot more focus on that. Yeah, that would be really, really, really cool. Mm. The next question is kind of a tough one, but I ask it because what we learn from it can help the next generation coming along. What would you say has been your greatest failure or challenge in your career journey? And what did you learn from that? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is going to be a fun answer. So I failed a lot (laughs) on the very first game I worked on as both a both a designer and a writer, which was a a game called Shadow Madness, Hmm. which some of you old PlayStation era RPG guys probably might have heard of. It's got a little bit of infamy. But you know, the reason I, I mean, I admit that and I embrace it because everything that, you know, I learned a ton from failing on that game. Uh, and also there were a lot of things that I did right on that game that I feel like, you know, um, so there was a lot of learning on that game. And uh, if that game hadn't happened, I don't know if I'd still be in the industry, to be honest. I think that game, uh, getting that game shipped and just having that moment of, you know, pride and satisfaction that we we did it mm-hmm. uh in spite of the setbacks but i had a lot of fun working on that game i met a lot of cool people worked with a lot of great people on that game and if i'd never tried that if i'd never had those stumbles i wouldn't have learned a lot of the stuff that i needed for the next game right and the game two or three games down the road uh so doing it and failing and learning from it i can't it was, I wouldn't have done it differently. I might've may not have slept under my desk getting ready for E3, but uh, uh, there, most of it I would have still done the same way. Right on. So what would you say is the biggest takeaway from that experience? What was the, the, the biggest learning? It's a big thing for me that looking back on it with hindsight is I learned with the people that I worked with, um, you know, don't be afraid to have fun doing it. Don't be afraid to have fun with your writing. Don't be afraid to have fun with your design. Not everything's going to fly. Not everything's going to be funny or cool or whatever, but Mm -hmm. don't be so deadlocked and serious about every single thing that you're doing. 
The other thing that I think was a major learning thing for me on that was learning to find the voices for the characters that you're writing Mm -hmm. and creating and populating your game with. And don't be afraid to let those be heard. Not everything, again, sticks, but the stuff that does is going to be going to be a good time. Uh, it, It should it. It should not be a chore, I think, was the big takeaway from that. It should it, it should be fun. It should be, you're making a game. It should be a good time. Hell yeah. Okay, so let's flip it around and make it positive for a second. What's the what's the best compliment you've ever received on any of your work? Uh, there's There's been a few. I, I mean, I work on Star Trek Online, and I have for now eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've done a lot of work. I write a lot of the the dialogue and the screenplays and the stuff for the game. So I do a lot of work in the studio uh, when we bring the, the actors in to work on and voice their characters. So when someone from Star Trek comes in and they're working and they're reading, working with us and they read the scripts and getting compliments from them saying, Hey, I like that line or Hey, that, that you, you really hit, you you know, really captured the voice there. It's like, this, this feels exactly like, you know, when we were working on fill in the blank episode, that's a good compliment to me because it means like, Hey, I'm doing my job. Yeah. You know, if, if, if there's an actor looking at a script of mine, scratching their head going, no, no way. I would not do that. Then I'm, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> uh, another one that I thought was kind of cool and it was very cute for me when I was working on um, the Metroid games, Metroid mm-hmm. prime two in particular, uh, that was a real challenge for a lot of time because you're working at the time with a main character that doesn't speak. You know, Samus doesn't talk. Right. Or at right. least didn't, didn't talk back then. And trying as the writer of that game to think of how, how are we going to tell a story? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to do a lot of that with visuals, but we had the, the logs that you could scan. And there was logs from Samus. And we got permission as, as long as they weren't voiced. It was cool to say, okay, well, this can be Samus talking, but you can't have voiceover. I'm like, okay, fine. But the, the, when I got a thumbs up from, because we worked with designers from Nintendo on that, as well as our local designers, mm-hmm. and they would come over periodically and we'd have big summit meetings and talk about what we were working on. And hearing from them about how much they thought and loved the uh, the space pirate logs mm-hmm. in Metroid Prime 2, right, which yeah. was just this comedy of errors about how the space pirates are trying to reverse engineer all of Samus's designs and gadgets and failing horribly. And they, they're like, they really thought that was amusing. So I was like, okay, you guys, you guys own this game. You guys make this game. This is your character and you're liking it. So I must be doing something right. Right on. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. So you mentioned finding the voices of your characters. Do you have a technique for that? Is there a tool or is it just, is there a process? Uh, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's an existing character, like say for a Star Trek character, I go back and just do tons of research, find all the stuff, all the episodes, pivotal episodes, if it's a, you know, a main character, Mm -hmm. uh, watch the old movies, watch the old shows. If it's, you know, somebody who was only in one episode, watch that episode. If it's somebody that's a new IP or, you know, not from an existing fiction, a lot of times, you know, that's kind of a collaborative process where, you know, we'll sit down and go, okay, who's this person? What's their part of this? What is our, what is their role? And just start building and fleshing out the character and finding, uh, there's been times where working with a voice actor in the studio, the voice actor will say, Hey, I've got an idea for this character. I read the script. How do you feel if I spin it like this? Mm-hmm. And then they'll they'll put a spin on it. So a lot of collaboration in that. It's it, it's not just me in a vacuum. Right. 
what drives you to to create to write and build and make games what 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 fuels that fire uh for me it's all about telling stories um because i've been according to my my parents <laughs> telling stories since i could talk so uh that's a pretty core thing for me right on and it's just such a part of my who i am i don't know if i could ever see that going away mm-hmm. and that's a big part of what I do as a writer and a designer is tell stories in my, in my little brain. Anyway, that's, that's the big driving force for me. Cool. So when the the fires start to burn low and you start running out of fuel, do you have a hobby or something you do to refuel those fires? I mean, apart from, you know, the usual, you know, suspects, uh, I, uh, I find that when I get into that kind of a, a mindset, just to step away from my desk, uh, I take, I hike a lot. Nice. So I'll go out and take a really nice long hike to someplace cool. I don't just walk around the block in my neighborhood. It's like, okay, I'll go. I have several books about cool places to hike to in my area. And I'm like, oh, I haven't been to this place before. So I'll plot something out and it, all the plotting of the hike, getting to the hike where I'm going to hike, doing the hike itself, uh, taking pictures, just not thinking about what I'm writing or working on for, you know, an afternoon mm-hmm. uh, really helps me decompress and get back in the groove. Cool. Let's uh, let's talk about craft specifically for a few minutes here. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I like to talk about dialogue. Um, I find it to be a very interesting part of the writing craft in general and specifically in video games. What in your opinion is a couple of keys to writing good dialogue? Uh, there's a few things that I'll do once I feel like I've got at least an initial grip, like we were talking earlier about the character's voice. Mm-hmm. How does the character talk? Are they really formal? Are they clipped? Do they use a lot of slang? Are they really laid back? Are they terse? Are they verbose? Getting some, some of those general things kind of like, you know, plotted out on a lot on an outline or on the sideline for the character. Mm-hmm. And then for me, a lot of times I reread what I just wrote. And I'll go back to stuff that I wrote earlier and I'll read it in my mind and read it and try to hear the voice in my head mm-hmm. or read it out loud, especially if I have the opportunity. And if it sounds false or if it sounds off or something's just not clicking, that that's a good, you know, intuition to go back and, you know, give it another rewrite. And then if it's conversation or a cutscene or something where people are talking back and forth, just reading from reading through the script and uh you know playing it out come you know almost like a dress rehearsal see how it sounds and if again if it's like uh, what was i thinking when i wrote that you know, it's back to the drawing board give it another go right i've heard that a lot of times um the idea that you need to sit down and read out loud the dialogue that you've you've written to see if it sounds real and see how it sounds to the human ear as opposed to just on the page. I, I can't recommend it highly enough to anybody. I mean, everybody has their own way of writing, but for me, that works out a lot. Mm-hmm. There are a few <laughs> scripts I've seen over the years and watched in movies and shows that I was like, I wonder if they would have actually read that out loud if they would have went with that <laughs> line. When you're working with a licensed IP like Star Trek, mm-hmm. what are some of the unique challenges when it comes to the actual craft of writing? I was very lucky to learn this very, very early, which is basically, it's not your sandbox. You get to work in it, you get to play in it, you get to use the toys that are in it, 
but those do not belong to you. And there will be times where you're going to want to do something with something in that sandbox. And the person who owns it is going to go, "Mm -mm, nope, can't do that. You know, and sometimes they're very open about it. When I was working on DC, they were like, okay, look, certain things, you probably already know this, but certain things were going to be just immediately reject. You're not going to have Superman rolling around, throwing out F-bombs, blowing everything up willy-nilly with his heat vision, and you don't have Batman rolling around with an M60. Uh, there's certain things that you, the IP just you, just, you will never do. Mm-hmm. And then there are some things that you might be able to do, but you better ask first. Don't, you know, don't assume that you can do this and then put it in the game and then have have the person who owns the IP call you up and go, you better yank that. There's a fun story I like to tell about when I was working on a Lord of the Rings game, mm-hmm. we almost missed a milestone uh, and a paycheck because we uh, had tomatoes in Hobbiton hmm. and the estate of the author of said work was not amused. And they had a phrase that they like to throw around back then called movie pollution because the Peter Jackson movies are coming out. And there were certain things that they did in the movie that they didn't like because that was something that wouldn't happen in Middle Earth Hmm. because Middle Earth is Middle Earth and it has a lot of, it has its own rules and things. And one of that was, as we later found out, was tomatoes are a new world. There is no, there are no tomatoes in Middle Earth. Yank, you got to yank those tomatoes or we will reject the milestone. And we're like, tomatoes, really? They're like, yeah, can't have them. And the art team wasn't terribly happy about that, but we went back and forth on it for a while and decided that we'd like to get paid. So we changed the tomato to a berry. I think it was a blackberry or blueberry. And we said, all right, how about that? We just leave the same acid in, but can we change the color and just make it purple or blue? And we're like, yeah, that's fine. Hmm. Yeah, they have, ber- they have berries in Middle Earth, just no tomatoes. We're like, okay. <laughs> and then we did it. Wow. We changed the color and life went on. But that's a pretty extreme example of you need to really be aware of what will fly and what is okay with your uh, IP holder, or you could have some very long and odd conversations about tomatoes. Yeah, no doubt. Where, where would you like? Where would you have even found that out? Is there a research like when it comes to Middle Earth? Is there a, a lore document somewhere that has that would have had that? Like, or is that just? It would have basically just been an encyclopedic knowledge of mm. stuff like you know every single note and scrap and appendix and you know addendum that that Tolkien put together, right. and there are a lot of those. And I'd read a lot of them, but I hadn't read the particular part about tomatoes. <laughs> so we we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a bump there, but we yeah. got past it. The game ultimately shipped there with the, with berries, no tomatoes. <laughs> so you've worked on a Lord of the Rings game. You've worked on DC material. You've worked on Star Trek material. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had the experience of building a world of your own? Are you a world builder as well as a writer? Uh, yeah, a few times. Uh, I mean, the first one, the, the, the game that I told you about that was, uh, with a lot of, uh, ups and downs of shadow menace. That was, that was an original IP. Cool. Cool. Uh, that was not a, uh, you know, something that we licensed. That was, that was all us for, for better, for ill, which is one (laughs) of the reasons why I still have a special place in my heart. I mean, it was the first game I worked on as a designer, but it also has a good place in my heart because I mean, 
there's, you know, there's a lot of us in there that we all, as the art team, the writers, the designers, programmers, I mean, we were all, you know, it's all for one and one for all and a lot on that game. So that game, you know, that IP making it to product and shipping is in itself a big, big, you know, win for me. Yeah. Well, that's huge. Um, okay. Well, coming at it from that angle, in your opinion, as a world builder, what makes a world memorable? Because, I mean, we've seen so many come and go, and then there's the ones like Azeroth and the ones that stick out forever. So what right. is the magic sauce? What's the secret sauce there? For, from my point of view, when I look at it, because, I mean, I look at it in a slightly different way than an a environment artist would look at it or yeah. that an engineer would look at it. Uh, for me, it's distilling the elements of a world and making the world a character in the work itself. The world is a character. Middle Earth is very much a character in Lord of the Rings stories. Mm -hmm. And all the different parts of Middle Earth are characters in the in Middle Earth. I mean, ask anybody about Mordor versus the Shire. Right. They are they themselves, even though they're just plots of land, but they are a very big part of that story. And I consider them to be uh, characters, just like in Star Trek, the what they call the hero ships, the Enterprise. The, the defiant those are characters in the show mm -hmm. they were they're considered to be as much a part of the show as the human beings and the aliens that that populate those universes so world building for me is find what makes that makes parts of the world their characters themselves and then how the people that walk around in that world interact with those characters mm -hmm. and when they start getting a personality of themselves that makes that informs so much. You can tell, you know, can start working with an artist and saying, okay, this is how Mordor is. This is how uh, Rivendell is. And then, then the artist can start jamming on that and putting up, putting together cool ideas in that collaboration. Clever. Just a riff off of that. What, aside from the one that you created, what's your favorite game world? Ooh, a lot of them. Um, lately I'd say um, uh, Night City in cyberpunk 2077 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is is a, is a good time i was amazed at how much uh detail went in that i played the old uh the old tabletop game and mm -hmm. then diving into that and being able to actually drive around in it and see it around me was it was a big treat i would love to visit the dc universe someday just to go and you know see the see the statue of superman and you know you know, see the bat signal up in the sky and hope to god it's not because it's the neighborhood i'm currently walking around <laughs> in stuff like that yeah yeah places like that very cool all right we'll just uh throw a curveball at you what's your favorite part of writing for video games it goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier about telling stories mm -hmm. that is writing dialogue writing uh in-game text writing uh you know descriptions of a ship or whatever that all to me is just another part of telling a story mm -hmm. and so when i get to sit down and work with my uh you know, with my crew and we start working and putting together, here's the next episode. What's the plot going to be? Which characters are we going to use? Which, you know, which ships are we going to feature? What's, what's going to be happening? What are we driving to? What's this? All of that stuff starts, you know, coming together on whiteboards and flow charts. That's just starting to tell the story. It's the, you know, 21st century equivalent of a bunch of people sitting down around a fire and somebody just starts telling about, uh, you know, what they saw the other day when they were out on the hunt. Uh, and that's that's the big part to me it's just, especially early on where it's all where the sky's the limit and everybody's throwing out ideas in the pitch docs and coming together with you know what's going to be fun and seeing what sticks and what falls 
that's that's exciting for me. That sounds amazing. And and that leads us naturally into the next question, which is kind of like the core question behind my podcast. It's in my opinion, there's this magical space where writers and gamers and game designers and tabletop gamers and board game designers and actors and improvs and musicians, there's this magical space where we can all just kind of meet and hang out and there's a natural conversation that happens there. In mm-hmm. your opinion, what is the magical thread? What is what is it about that space that pulls us all together? Honestly, again, I'm going to say it's storytelling. Yep. Um, and the reason I say that is when we talk about this, this gathering that you just mentioned, people are there to be told a story mm-hmm. or to take part in a story or to do something with the other people that are there that's going to inform a story that they can tell later to other people that they know, right. uh, either people that were there at the same time or people that didn't make it. Like, I mean, you might think for example, it's like, oh, where's a, where's a story in a, you know, in a co-op shooter, where's the story in a sports game, you know, where's, where's a Madden game and have a story. It's like, well, that's the thing. If you're playing a really good game of Madden and you have a great game and it's really close and you only beat your friend by like a field goal, mm-hmm. then that's a story that you're going to be able to tell your friend, his friends, other people that you know that play Madden. Uh, it's sitting around at a party talking, remember that Madden game we played where, you know, it, that's that could go on for years as a story. Oh, yeah. So that's why I think that, you know, there's other elements that are going to be big as well. But I think the big one for me would be storytelling. I'm in some degree. I'm right there with you. So I guess the follow-up to that would be why are stories important? I think that it's something that just goes back to the, you know, the very dawn of language. Uh, when people first were able to, in the, the most elementary way, communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, early on, it was obviously more probably about survival but also as generations started to take place, you know, people started having children, people started having grandchildren, great grandchildren. It was a way before the written word to, to teach, to learn, to educate, but also to, you know, tell people about the people that it came before them. So it was building history uh, through the spoken word. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very telling to me that, since the dawn of language, here we are now in the 21st century, and that is still very much a thing. Just verbally telling a story from one person to another, person telling a story to their kid at bedtime, person, you know, telling a story to a bunch of people standing up doing stand up comedy, uh, people, you know, on the center of a stage giving a soliloquy as part of a play. Mm-hmm. It's still that spoken word has been going on for thousands of years. And that's just to me. I think it's just such a core aspect of being a human being that I don't think it's ever going to go away. If it was going to go away, it would have happened a long time ago. And they thought it was going away. You know, oh, radio is going to kill storytelling. Movies are going to kill storytelling. TV, video games, <laughs> cough, cough. Yeah, exactly. And it's still here. It's still happening. Yeah. And I don't think it's it's going to stop as long as people can talk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It'll just keep evolving. It'll just, there'll be another form and another form. There'll be AR and VR, and then there'll be who knows what, but stories, man. Yep. So taking into consideration the importance of stories and the evolution of humans and how it was always this powerful tool to teach and pass along, you know, generational information and wisdom and knowledge. What does that mean for the role of storytellers and story creators in today's society where you know there's lots of things going on that we could really use a little bit of 
societal wisdom passed around. Does that does that put a heavy weight on storytellers that are creating games and books and movies and comics? I think that everyone needs to be cognizant of having a certain responsibility, especially when we live in an age now where, you know, something on social media can reach thousands, if not millions of people all around the world mm-hmm. in, in like the snap, less than a snap of a finger. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a certain obligation and responsibility for people who are telling stories, true or otherwise, that your outreach could be a lot greater than you realize. And in a fraction of a breath, you could be influencing a lot of people. But that's both kind of a responsibility, but it's also kind of a, you know, an opportunity. Uh, It's a way that you can have that, that kind of soapbox, so to speak, to go and speak to people and tell stories and help people have a good time, help people get a laugh, help people uh, get away from it all for a few minutes or an hour. Mm -hmm. That is just as important as making sure people know how to, you know, put an Ikea desktop together, (laughs) (laughs) for example, or, you know, how, how cool this new set of Pokemon cards is that you just picked up, you know, what, what, whatever the case may be. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Well, that is the core questions. I like to do a little bit of a rapid fire, quick pick your brain. Just uh, you don't have to go too deep down the rabbit hole unless you want to kind of thing. Okay. So what are you playing these days? Uh, Video game wise, um, a bunch of different stuff. Um, I just started up Elden Ring the other day and I am learning the painful joys of that game. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of the games I've been playing lately are games with, uh, with friends, uh, co-op games uh, like Back for Blood. Uh, we just started playing Redfall recently, which has been uh, a good time. And I'm kind of loitering and waiting for the uh, the next big DLC for Cyberpunk to drop so I can go back and play the, play all the way through that with a new character. Cool. So those are those are the those are the highlights. Nice. Are you playing any board games or tabletops? Some tabletop stuff, yeah. Um, there's a uh, there's a game that I play tabletop online uh, called Forbidden Lands, mm-hmm. which is kind of an old school uh, esque uh, survival uh, fantasy game. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing and having a lot of good times with that. Just picked up and I'm going through the rules for a, uh, a very interesting uh, board game slash card game slash RPG slash dice game. It's it's a hybrid game hmm. called Spectaculars. Uh, it's a superhero game. Cool. Uh, so a lot of fun with that. And then the other day we got the opportunity to play the new version of uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I love. Nice. Are you reading anything interesting? Yes. Um, I've been working my way through the Expanse novels because I like the show mm-hmm. and I wanted to uh, to read the books right on i've been enjoying uh, i've picked up some trade uh, paperbacks of the first few years of the old stanley steve dicka run on spider-man uh and i'm reading a uh non-fiction book about how a ragtag group of soldiers in the very last days of world war ii rescued a bunch of prize horses from the third reich hmm. in the very like literally the last days of war in, uh, in the european theater at least Interesting. Uh, and it's a true story and it's it's they need to make a movie out they they've tried to make a couple of movies out of it back in the 60s but it would be really good to see a new modern spin on this because it's uh it's good stuff you read it and you're just like when oh, this really happened it's like yep it really happened 
And I'm like, that would be awesome to see on the screen. Cool. That's a good mix. I like that. Yeah. If you could sit down with any four people and play a game, who would the people be and what game would you play? <laughs> okay. I would play a game, a, a superhero game, hmm. like superhero RPG, like say, we'll say, we'll say champions mm-hmm. with, uh, with Mike Pondsmith, okay. Kevin Smith, <laughs> David Bowie. Oh, wow. Ran, ran by Stan Lee. That'd be fun. Roll for initiative, true believers. <laughs> Oh, that would be incredible. Just to see what is what Stan could come up with planned or otherwise would be yeah. would be a good time, I think. That would be amazing. Good good call. Like it. All right, man. Um we're just gonna start heading out the door, but before we do, is there anything you're working on right now or anything that's coming out or came out that you want to talk about? Anything you want to boost or uh I would like to plug uh, the game that I've been working on for eight years, uh, Star Trek Online. Good game. Free to play. We just shipped out a, uh, a big new episode with lots of cool stuff to do. Uh, so if you haven't, check it out. Yeah. I don't think you'll be sorry. But if you're not free to play, <laughs> you you're not going to lose a lot of lunch money playing it if you check it out. That's fantastic. All right. All that will be in the show notes, links and all that stuff. Awesome. All right, man. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about writing for games and story and all the wonderful stuff inside there. This has been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, I had a good time. Thanks. And so ends another fine conversation on one of my favorite topics. Again, thank you, Paul, for sharing with us. And thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review. Tell your friends and, you know, hit that subscribe button. Now take care in your journeys, Wanderer. And we hope to see you again next week here at the corner of Story and Game. <laughs>